Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. We've got an amazing guest today, Ryan Folland. He is a high-energy speaker, podcast host, and author who believes in simplicity and of simply being you. His 313 method is a process where core brand messaging begins as three sentences, condenses into one sentence, and then boils down to just three words. He's often recognized for his expertise when it comes to marketing people, which is most commonly known as personal branding. In his book, Ditch the Act, published by McGraw-Hill, Ryan shares the art of being perfectly imperfect and shows you how to tap into the surprising power of the real you for greater success. And for fun, Ryan likes to sail drastic figures, and he also raps. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Word. What's up? Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you, Ryan. As a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? As a visionary, can I say as a visionary ginger? Was that okay? Can we modify a little bit? Sure. So as a visionary ginger, how I would like to, uh, is it modify the world or story to the world? Sure. You can modify the world. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think that the world is, is modified by people having the courage of sharing stories that didn't necessarily go right. And I think that the more we have the courage to be vulnerable and share what hasn't worked is actually what is the one thing that will connect us with people because I don't feel that people really care about our story of success, even though that's what society tells us to share is what's on your resume, what are the best things that you've done. But in actuality, I think that the more connective way to have who you are resonate with people is to help people see themselves in your story. And so it may be a bit countercultural here, but I'm saying the stories that I would like to have shared with the world and, and the stories to change is that you feel the pressure to produce your highlight reel, R-E-E-L. And I'd like to see people telling more R-E-A-L stories, uh, a highlight reel as you would have it. And in the book, it's really about ditching that act. So yeah, I think we all could shed a bit of the good stuff we're doing and actually connect more with the people who see themselves in our stories of, of struggle and, and fight and flight and, and flops. So if we get more, more uh, versions of your ugly, I think we can all feel a bit better about ourselves and, and learn uh, truly like, like the AI data that you need. You need the good data and the bad data to make decisions. Sure. Sure. hundred percent agree, Ryan, but it's, the challenge, right? People don't want to talk about failure and they're afraid that if you get associated with failure, no one's going to hire with you or do business. I mean, how do you ditch the act and be able to go down this path? Well, you do it in baby steps, just like anything. But one thing that you mentioned there, I actually have a question for you two. You said experience, or I'm sorry, you said expertise, right? People, they want, they want to hire experts. I actually, I'm getting a bit bullish on the comment that people don't actually hire you for your expertise, but they actually hire you for your experience, even though they don't say it. And so I'm curious what you think about that, right? Because everybody can say that they're an expert, but when you truly go in there and hire somebody to help you solve a problem, are you more concerned with their expertise or do you actually sniff out whether or not they have experience around their expertise? 
Well, you do. You do look for experience. At least that's my experience on that front. But that's interesting because it reminds me of the old adage, right? People want your help for because they like they want good judgment, right? And the way you get good judgment is through experience, and experience comes through at judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if I could jump in here, um, I'll answer your question in one second. But what you rem- remind me, uh, what you're talking about, reminds me a lot of Brene Brown in a good way about being vulnerable. And I think that there is a huge need for that. I think that people feel like all of their stories on social media have to be triumphant stories. We have to tell tell the world all the great things about us because if we don't, people won't want to hire us. Um, and I think that you're you're absolutely right. I think that if I were to answer that question, it, it is about experience. But I think the other part is people hire people that they want to be around. Um, and I think that often comes down to people being honest and open with, with you. Um, you don't have to have the, the Photoshop version of that. Uh, clearly, you don't want to work with someone that it's their first day in the job or anything like that, or someone that's, that's had a lot of failures. But you want someone that's, that's human. And it reminds me of something. I, just this morning, I'm, I'm helping someone write their book. And I was telling them, uh, I was bringing up the example of, of Tony Soprano and looking at why do we like to watch uh, the TV show, The Sopranos, why do we like to watch Tony? Is because he's imperfect, right? If he was this angel all the time, he'd be pretty boring. And I think that speaks to what you're talking about, being real and, and ditching the act, is we want to see, you mentioned the word ugly, we want to see the ugly side or, or the human side of it because the other stuff is, is really boring. It sounds uh, like the corporate stale version of it. And I think a lot of us are getting very turned off by, the, by that idea. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I mean, you guys agree. If you disagreed with me, then we would dive deeper in that. But since you kind of agree, I think it's interesting to dive into even from like an artificial intelligence standpoint, right? If you have, if you have enough people that are posting the rosy pictures and all the roses and, and their best filtered photos, and you know, you're drawn to those because that's what's picked up by the algorithm, and then you like it and then you get fed more of these images. And sometimes, depending on what you're searching, your explore feed is like, oh my God, all these people look perfect. I feel terrible about myself right now. You know, like in that data continues to create more data and it's almost like a a negative feedback loop about how amazing everyone else is. And now we're all just stuck at home, like taking on a COVID-19 instead of, instead of whatever. So I just think it's, it's a weird cycle that self propagates itself. And so how do you change that story? You actually be a bit more honest and, and you share what didn't go right. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Mm-hmm. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think it takes a lot of courage to acknowledge your own shortcomings and be honest with yourself. Right? What is it? They say the easiest person to lie to is actually yourself. How do people take that first step? I mean, how do you figure out how to be honest with you? Well, it's a great question. And you're full of adages today, which I, I'm assuming <laughs> you probably have some sort of AI function that's real, reading this in real time and like feeding you a thread of things. that are No, that's what our brains are doing, right? Our, our brains are just one big algorithm. Yeah, it's all the data that we're collecting. But I think that the answer is baby steps. And I think that it's very hard to go from somebody who has a very polished persona. Any sign of weakness, if you've never shown it, seems like a total drop on the Richter scale. So one of the things that I talk about in this book is is these levels of exposure. Now, if you're going to talk about a business that you went bankrupt or something that was a personal strategy, like a divorce, like you don't just come out and you be like, hey, I got divorced. It's miserable. Everybody relate to me. The idea is to use incremental steps and we outline five of them. So without getting too long-winded, the first is just silly, stupid stuff. Like, 
like making coffee in the morning and then it's sitting there looking at you for enough time where it gets totally cold to where you actually have to go to the microwave to heat it up. But in that one minute, you forget about it because you're focused on something else. And then at about 10.30, you're like, why am I so like not energized right now? And your coffee's not there. It's in the microwave. And then you have to heat it again. But after you've heated something a certain amount of times, it just kind of loses that fresh coffee kick. I think we've all been there with our coffee, right? Happy to me but, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but unless, like, like, that's a very low level. Like, you're not, I'm not discredited as a business person. I'm actually credited as somebody who's, who needs coffee and, and that creates relatability. So these level one exposures, it's sharing the stupid, silly stuff that goes wrong. And you think like, why would people care? But Michael, your response, that, that happened to me. Like, we had this foundation relation of how our morning started, even though we just met. Right, right. So uh, level, level two is more about relationships and challenges you have with people because we all do that. And then level three is more about um, things that you're afraid people will find out, maybe even financial, maybe relationship. Level four is like the stuff that you've hidden from everyone. And level five is what not to share. So the idea here is like, it's an incremental baby step. And when you start to go first, everybody else around you be like, oh, that happened to me too. And now you've like connected and gone past the gotten past the crock brain. Sure. Well, I want to bring up a topical example of this. So over the weekend, I heard that uh, Jenna Marbles, who is a huge YouTuber, uh, stepped down from her position because there had been some some comedy, some bits she had done 10 years ago, where she, according to her, she's self-censoring herself. She's taking herself down because people were complaining that it was insensitive. Now, however you feel about whether it was insensitive or not, I feel like there is unfortunately a, a tendency in our culture right now uh, to, to shame people for what happened in, in the past. And it feels like in some ways we're going to a Hester Prynne type situation now where we have scarlet letters because of what we did. And what you're talking about, ditching the act, I mean, in terms of being our real selves, it feels like we can't have ever made mistakes in the past because if we did, then we will be called out upon them right now. And although I, I very much want to see a more tolerant, compassionate society, and I think that a lot of these people's intentions are correct, I am concerned that we aren't able to acknowledge our past mistakes uh, because of, for economic incentives, we could be canceled and things like that. And I wondered what your thoughts were about that. Well, it goes to the larger point of things that you're exposing about yourself can't be used against you. And so I think it goes back to a rooted of really hiding what you've done or really not bringing awareness to it. And I think that she is bringing awareness to it. And in the culture climate right now, when everyone is being called out, statues are being taken down, airports are being renamed. I think it's part of this larger conversation which I believe is for the, for the greater good, so that there is this a, a bit of a rattling in the cages. But I think if we look at our own personal experiences, there's probably moments where we're not proud of or moments where we said a joke that was inappropriate or something to that extent. And I think that it's all in how you position it and how you get in front of it as opposed to somebody else calling you out for it. And I think, um, you know, who was it? There was a, I won't even name a name, but there was a famous actor the other day or other week or the month that came out saying like, you know, everybody should be cool and happy and, and, and love each other, but had been arrested multiple times for hate crimes in his past. And mm -hmm. so like, there is something to be said about your set of, your set of experiences is what creates who you are, but more so, and this is what I think the heart of the answer is, how did you change as a person because of that? Mm -hmm. And I think that there has to be this, you know, almost a bell curve to where we are all taking personal lock stock 
on how we have acted, how our daily actions are, and we're updating that algorithm. But it's not an instant change. We can't just expect everybody to say, oh, you're forgiven, because some people might be ditching the act for the sake of doing it just to even get attention. Mm-hmm. So I think that if if we look at her intentions, do they come across as genuine? Do they come across as honest? And it seems as though in that moment, you might get mixed reviews. But I think for the long term, finding what you can self, uh, self-censor self yourself for or call these things out, the more you get in front of them, mm-hmm. the less people can hold them accountable or hold them against you for it. You're holding yourself accountable. Sure. Well, I want to take this sort of in a sideways stuff for a second because you know, you're talking a lot about <laughs> experience, but I think one of the things we're talking about is context. And I'm not trying to make light that some behavior is necessarily good or bad, but you know, I always use the example like someone cuts you off when you're driving, right? You're, oh, how could they do that? It's so rude. But when you cut somebody else off, you always have a good excuse for it, right? You're like, right, I'm, right. I'm rushing to the hospital. Or I got to go pick my kids or something. We, we often lack that context. I think when people are sharing their stories or their experiences, I always feel like you don't have that context, which is sometimes why people don't want to share their failures, right? Because you got to then really build up and lay the foundation and share all the context. So people don't think like, oh man, this guy is a loser, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary V, I, I connected with him in China when I was over there speaking and, and he was explaining uh, the meat and potatoes for the talk that he was giving. And it really stuck with me. It's that content is king, but context is queen. And we all know who runs the house. And, you know, it's, it's a funny concept, but it's true is that it's perspective is really everything. And I think that the fact that we're always going to have an excuse of why we're cutting somebody off won't change. The fact that we get irritated to somebody cutting us off is never going to change. But I think this like awareness of being able to go back and look at the data, like sometimes when somebody cuts me off, I'm like, why did I just get so upset right then? And I think that if anything, it's more of a self-realization. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm working more on is creating more space in my brain to calculate. And I'd be curious, your guys, is uh, you know how this translates to a digital world. But being more mindful and you know yoga and creating space and things like that. The reason I'm doing it is to create um, a bigger reaction time. And I have somebody who explained this in the terms of like we all get hit with bricks, right? So imagine this brick but your response time to that brick hitting you is going to change. And if you are a puddle and you have zero reaction time, because as soon as the puddle hits, everything just scatters and you freak out versus if you take that same brick and threw it in a pond and you had more space, it'd be a little bit different. And if you threw that brick in the ocean, nobody would even know. And so I think that hopefully one of the outcomes of these larger conversations is creating the space in which you react to things. And right now it's, it's as fast as a tweet. It's as fast as somebody cutting you off. So I don't think we can fundamentally snap our fingers and say, we just, we have to have perspective when we can't not get mad. Like we react to things. But I think the more we give our space time to interpret that reaction uh, in the algorithm, creating some sort of a, let's not just jump to conclusions, but to sort of take a step back and look at all the data I think that's where we're going to have to train to get better at. Uh, and it's, it, it is a reality of what you see and the time you take to research it. I've seen pictures on Twitter and be like, oh my gosh, and then later find out it's totally fabricated. It's like, right. if I would have just looked at that picture with a, with, a, with a buffer zone saying like, hmm, if that was real, that'd be kind of crazy, but it could also be not real. Let's, 
let's wait, like let's right. create space. So I think creating space is where we create tolerance, where we create, um, you know, compromise, but it doesn't mean that initially people aren't going to be upset. Sure. No, and, and and that's a very good example, Neil, what you're talking about. I find that that happens all the time in my life. I get so upset about something someone else did, and then I end up doing it. And I'm like, well, now I see what it's like, why that person made that decision it happens to me so much. Uh, there's uh, Wayne Dyer has this quote where he says that, you know, we should stop looking for reasons to be outraged and instead look for reasons to feel gratitude. And I think that if we make that mindset, I think that if we make that mindset shift, and I think meditation is a great way to do that, we get away from being in that reactive mode to opening that space that you mentioned. And, and yoga obviously is, is the physical uh, version of that as well. Because if we, if we get away from being so brittle, we get away from, from being a culture that's just ready to pounce on the next thing that, that we're going to be outraged about, but instead allow some things to allow us to think about it. And, and especially going from the person that cuts us off in traffic. I mean, how many of us, myself included, have just wanted to flick the person off immediately. But then if we take a moment and try to imagine, okay, what is this person going through? Why are they react? Why are they behaving that way? We get away from a reactive mindset and we want, we come to a place of, of greater awareness because if we do that, we, we begin to see, okay, there might be, going back to your word, context. There might be a context involved. Why did that person make that decision? We don't know that the whole uh, story behind it. And once we do, then we have more more chances to be more empathetic to other people and understand where they're coming from too. Now, I've got a technical question to tie this in. Sure. True or false, the more data you have, the more <clears throat> uh, intelligent your artificial intelligence can be. That, that's Is that a true false. or false? That's false. Okay. I, I'll, give, I'll give a simple example for everyone. Uh, we know that for like an AI to become fluent in a different language, it has to hear about 100 million words. But for a human child, a human child only needs 15 million. So it's not the volume of the words, it's some key words and phrases that really trigger the understanding, the learning. Interesting. So one, one thing that uh, I've, I've heard a few people doing, and I'm curious if this is on, if this contextual, is that I think we have this tendency to apologize for things. And there's certain cultures and there's certain certain people in underserved communities that might like jump to apologize and like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry is like a default. But the idea of replacing I'm sorry with the words thank you, as in thank you for pointing that out or, or I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. It's literally a, a similar response because you are like just trying to make sure that the next time it's better or you didn't want to like I'm sorry versus thank you. And so it kind of gets to the input of the data, right? Like, uh, but what are your thoughts around that where using phrases or words, or the inputs or the outputs, like that has so much to do with how we're reacting or our fear of sharing our own story or our fear of being judged. Curious from a technical standpoint, if that makes sense. I think you're, you, yours went to mute for a second there, Neil. Can you say that again? I'm saying that I think from a human standpoint, uh, I don't know about a technical because they don't feel emotions, but from a human standpoint, we, we tend to take things personally, right? And if you think about how we talk, we always say like, well, you did this, or I'm sorry that happened, or you're being sarcastic rather than say, well, I feel this way. And I really like your idea of thank you because you're actually just saying like, I'm taking your feedback and I'm actually acknowledging it, right? Right which starts, sets up a whole different type of conversation. 
So yeah. that, that's a big way to ditch the act. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I think, again, it speaks to getting away from a reactive mode and just saying, okay, I'm sorry, rather than, and it allows us to think more about what's involved and what there is to, to learn from. And I think that if we're looking at this from a, a wider perspective, my, I can't take credit for this, my, my friend said it, but he goes, he said, all this is, is here for us to learn from. Um, all of this is for our growth uh, in life. And I think whatever it is that we're experiencing, we can choose in that moment to make it a learning experience. We can make it the worst thing that ever happened to us, or we can reframe it and think about, okay, what can we take and what can we learn from this? Um, and especially when it, comes from, uh, when it comes to be reactive as opposed to taking offense uh, right away to then think about, okay, well, what, thank you for that. Now, what can I do? What, how can I learn from what just occurred? And I think part of what, what I'm excited about changing the story or the narrative is if people open up more about where they're coming from, like, honestly, it helps to create more perspective. It helps to create more context. If you jump because you're, you know, if you jump to react and you're, and you're super angry about something yet, there's nothing, there's no, there's no visible part of your story that shows cause for that reaction. Then like it might be taken out of context, but when you have personal experiences or I had a friend that did this, or I lost a loved one that had this, like all of a sudden it becomes, as you're saying, it's like, I feel like this is about me. It's not as much about you and, and seeing where it is. Cause people are really just different data sets at the end of the day. And we can only like, I only know you for what I can find and like what the digital footprint is and my interactions with you. And so from an AI perspective, I think the more data that we give that's contextual helps people get to know us faster helps to actually get to know us. And mm -hmm. I think that when people get to know us, they have a choice of whether or not they like us. And I think, unfortunately, we just think we just got to get them to like us. But if you don't let people get to know you, how can they genuinely like you? Like there's some people that I don't know enough to tell you that I like them or not. Like, I just don't know you enough. Like I, I like the guy, he seems nice, but I don't know him. And so I think that the more we, we, use our own narratives and our own lessons and life learning, then it allows people to sort of get to know who we are, get to know that backdrop. I was just on a call this morning, uh, potential for a podcast uh, guest for me to be a guest on her show. And she's like, so Ryan, tell me about your story. Tell me about your life. And I was like, <laughs> like, what do you want to know? Right. So right. we have such a, it was a 20 minute call and I'm like, ah, okay. I can't really get you up to speed in 20 minutes. So like, there's this, there's this challenge of even the amount of time, but sure. if I would just chose that time to hit all the rosy spots, she wouldn't get a real picture. And in fact, I chose a couple of the rougher spots, which was a quicker way to getting her to understand who I am. That that's, Interesting approach there and probably sparked a much deeper conversation, but I'm kind of curious when, when you did this or she asked you that question, did you apply 313? Did you share your three words? No, I didn't. Um, because that's more about what I do as opposed to where did I come from? Ah, Yeah. I think the, the answering the question, what do you do? I always answer with, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It's the problem that I solve. And then the, the concept is around the problem that's being solved, as opposed to just sort of the surface level of what I do. Because we do a lot of, we, I mean, you're an author, you know, you, you do these different things, but at the root, like, does that really encapsulate everything? I think it's more centralized if you understand the problem that you're trying to solve. 
and then you can stitch the conversation from there. But way to tie in the 313, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> nice work, Neil. But I, I, I totally agree with you because I think that oftentimes I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in several networking groups and they, they end up saying what they do and it's very dry. It can be very dry. Uh, and I think when you, when you hear that, you're like, okay. Then you got to follow up with another question because you're like, well, I don't really understand who this person is at all. And I like what you're saying there. It reminds me a lot of what Simon Sinek says about you know, bringing in the, the, your why, which I think has been used a lot. But I think there is something to it, which it allows you to have a greater sense of who this person is, which it sounds like in your, your, record, your session with this person, you know, they're wanting to get to know who the real you is. Who, who are you? And you're a person who has failures and successes. And the more that we understand that, the, the better sense that we understand who you are as a person. Yeah. It makes me think of a Forbes magazine, right? Everybody wants to be, I want to be on Forbes magazine, whatever that song is. Like, oh, I want to be there, right? Right. But if you look at those stories, those features, they really are asking like, when did it go really wrong? Like, how did you rebound from this? Like, tell me about like the, like what, like what you're afraid to talk about. Like that kind of stuff is what's interesting. And even going to a bit technical, because I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how this all is AI focused, really. And if I give you a data input and it says I'm an author, then doo -doo -doo -doo, your algorithm probably picks up everything that's relevant to that author, and probably based on their own experience or bias with what authors are, they're gonna pin you in a hole for an author. But it's like if I were to share a story of why I decided to write a book then that might be not directly tied to something that's already in your database. You actually have to focus, listen, and come up with your own sort of new data points as opposed to being like, oh, well, I, you're an author. They're all this, like, I know authors, like, boom, I, I sort of stopped computing. And again, do you guys think that we are all our own artificial intelligence in our own mind that's constantly looking for data, that's trying to create relevant thoughts and processes? Well, I'll jump in here. I absolutely do. And I think that we have a, a, a problem with bias too, a confirmation bias, right? And so unfortunately, the more that our beliefs become entrenched, uh, the more that we begin there, there you go. Uh, the, the more that our, our beliefs become entrenched, the more we only begin seeking out other information that confirms that, right? And I think that that is, is definitely a, a challenge in our, in our culture and our society. I'm and gonna, I've been, no, go ahead, go. Sorry, Ryan, I'm going to disagree with that. How many times have you seen someone do something like, you're like, what are they thinking, right? People are irrational. I don't think sometimes we're seeking data or information at all. We kind of fly off the handle for one reason or another based on whatever our emotional reaction might be. So, yeah, but, I, but I'm, I'm going to maybe take a middle ground between both of you who are fighting, like, <laughs> so fighting here. But confirmation bias, I, I really believe has a lot of real world applications that we don't see. And the example I, I like to use is, you know, or for do either of you, are you, uh, who's a public speaker in the house here? I am. We both are. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Now, because you both identify with being a public speaker, you're going to take cues, signals, datas, and opportunities to public speak. It's not a big deal. But when I ask somebody in a large audience, I'd say, only a third, if maybe aggressive, a half will raise their hand and say like, I'm a public speaker. Mm -hmm. The problem is for those people who don't associate themselves with that data as part of their identity, then they will not raise their hand when there comes a chance to speak. They will not see an opportunity of being a host at an event as a chance that they could take. And so sometimes it's the actual words that you use when you describe yourself, irregardless of, of how you're reacting to other people. And I think that holds people back. 
right? Mm -hmm. If, if I don't, if I'm self-talking down, like, oh, I'm not a public speaker, then those thoughts become words, the words become things. And, and so think the thoughts that you want. So I think confirmation bias is real. I think inherent bias is real. I think bias in AI is probably one of the most legitimate points where people can poke a hole in what's happening. Um, because of that, because like we, we tend to, to see the data, we see the red lights when we think we're late. Sure. I sure. don't know how to really get around that. Well, and uh, yeah, so Heidegger, uh, the philosopher talked about this a lot too. And he talked about this from an ex existential point of view, which is if you see yourself as, let's say you're a server at a cafe and that's the only way that you see yourself, you say, who, who are you? I'm a server. Um, then you tend to view the world through that lens. And to your point earlier, you are then perhaps missing out on other opportunities because you're limiting your self-conception. But if you begin to uh, broaden your self-conception, well, then you might be, uh, you might become a public speaker if it, it had never occurred to you, right? It allows, it, it opens you up to other possibilities as opposed to limiting you. So I, I feel if I were going back to changing the story, it's helping people address their own AI bias about themselves. And mm -hmm. they're, they're pre-calculating. This is an interesting experience for anybody who is listening. Like take three things that went terrible in your life that went wrong, that were like things that you're not proud of, or you don't want to share or whatnot. Okay. Of those, find the worst one, right? This is a way of teasing out something that really is a skeleton in your closet that you don't want to share. The next question is, if you shared that with somebody, like if you shared that with me, or if you shared that with each other, how would that other person react? And actually think about that, not your instinct. But if you're sharing something that is either tragic to you or sad to you or, or uncomfortable to you, if you're sharing that with another person, chances are they might be empathetic. They might be there to help. They mm -hmm. might be like their whole demeanor might just like, they just want to give you a hug. And I think that when we think about how people react, we don't really think about how they'll react. We just think how we would think that they react, right? right. So it's like, so, I, you know, in, in these workshops and stuff, I'll ask people this question. I'll say, what do you, how do you think people will react before telling me what the story is? Then they make their guess. And then I have them share. And I'm like, I wasn't, I didn't react the way that you did. I didn't react the way that you thought. Like, I genuinely now understand more about you. I'm empathetic. Like, how can I help? And so I think sometimes it's just, realizing that we get stuck in our own head and other people are like, people will empathize. They, they will sort of see themselves in your story. Granted, it's a balance and you're doing it in small baby steps, not just for the sake of doing it. Sure. So Ryan, very mind altering stuff and hopefully it's encouraging people to start <laughs> sharing their failures. I'm a big fan of always seeing what you're up to. Up to how could people best follow you? See what you're, what's going on with uh, the Ryan Fallen world. Yeah, well, you can go to Ryan.online. That'll put you to my website where everything lives. If you're curious about this 313, you can check out my 313 podcast. Uh, so it's 313 Challenge. You can search for it on platforms. If you want to tap into your public speaking skills, I've got a podcast, which is The World of Speakers. And if you do want to interact on social, I'll probably be tweeting after this and then the hour after that and then sometime later on today. So that's where you can likely find me at Ryan Foland. Awesome. awesome. We'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes for our audience. And Ryan, thank you for sharing your story. All right. Well, gentlemen, if I could maybe wrap it up uh, to sort of make sure that we get the full deal here. 
here is the deal, let me give it to you real. The key to connection is to learn to reveal because you are not perfect and neither am I. And that is the exact reason that we see eye to eye because everybody's different, but we are all the same. To be perfectly imperfect is how you win the game. And if you only showcase good and do not share the bad, you will miss connections that you never knew you had. Facegram, Twitter, book, are you LinkedIn? Are you snapping out of TikTok trying to fit in? Stop worrying about everybody else. Focus on being your authentic self. Because when you learn to ditch the act and learn to be yourself, you open up connections that you never knew you had. <laughs> All right. That was awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan. Fantastic interview. All right. Peace out, guys. We'll Thanks. see you in the digital some sort of data somewhere. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, Please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.